Well, good morning to you all. That's, that was a good response. I was expecting silence. I always like when you respond to me. I prefer it when I get up, you start clapping, but I'll, I'll just take your responses. That's nice enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so long as you're clapping at the end, that's, that's good as well. So we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, um, and uh, Mark... <laughs> I'm not going to try and blame stuff on Mark, but I'm just going to let you know a bit of the process of why I've got these verses. So Mark just was handing him out, and he is very always, he's always gracious, and he says, would you, would you mind doing this? Would you like to do this? And of course, I'm just going like, you know, I want to support Mark, and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, no worries, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And it's only when I get to actually reading what he's told me to do that I'm like, oh, maybe I should have taken him up on that offer of do I really want to do this? So today we're actually looking at the second, so the Lord's Prayer, as you know, is broken up, can be broken up into two parts. It's the God-focused part and the us-focused part. And we've done the God-focused part and we started off on daily bread, which was the us, and we're into the second part of the us petitions, which is, well, let's, we'll read the whole thing because you need to hear all of it. So we're going to start, we're in Matthew 6, verse 5. So if you've got a Bible, real or digital, turn to to that with me now and we'll read it. The Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither Will your Father forgive your trespasses? So I've got the fun one, forgive us our debts. And in Matthew's Gospel, he, he puts on this little bit at the end just to make sure we get it clearly what God's trying to say here. Now how many of you, just before we go on, how many of you grew up learning the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts. Not many. What would we normally have learnt when we were growing up? Me included. Trespasses or sins. Trespasses is normally the one we would have grown up learning. So here we've got debts, but we all would know it as trespasses. Which one's right? Both. Both are right. Because it's sin. 
So both arise. In the scripture, it gives us three particular definitions of what it's talking about when it talks about sins. One of the ways it tries to describe it is that of a debt, something that's owed that you pay. The other way, it's a transgression, something that you've, you've crossed the line, you've gone beyond where you shouldn't, you've encroached, you've, you've, you're guilty. So you've transgressions, that's correct. And the third one is of, uh, is of hostility. We are hostile and angry and violent towards God. These are the three ways that primarily sin is described in, in the scriptures. It falls into those categories. So when it's talking about debts or transgressions or sins, in Luke's uh, account of the Lord's Prayer, he actually says, forgive us our sins. It doesn't matter. We're talking about we got it wrong. And it's also talking about other people get it wrong. So I was preparing for this and I thought I've got exactly what I'm going to say. I know I'm going to say. I was quite clear in the direction I wanted to go and I sat down in this room with Mark on the Friday morning. And I don't want to blame Mark again, but if... But I couldn't write the sermon. Well, I I wrote a lot of stuff, but nothing, nothing worked. I don't know if you've ever had God move, and you're doing something, and it's a good thing you're doing, but in the pit of your stomach, you just know it's not quite right. I've almost got it. Uh, This is good truth. I love what what I'm reading, what I'm writing. It's just... The word of God is jumping out of me, but in the pit of my stomach, it's not right. I'm not blaming you, Mark, but... And I couldn't go on. I was like... I was in... I was in pain. I'm like, God, just, just, just let me get on with this. Just let me write this down so I can at least say something to the people here. And it wouldn't leave, and, and I'm crying out, saying, God, what is it then? What is it? And I said, when you've got that thing in the pit of your stomach, and you say the words, what do you want me to do, God? You know it's not going to be easy. So I spent oh, too long trying to just fight God on it. Who, who has ever tried to wrestle with God? Who's ever tried to fight with God and stuff? Who wins? God, every time. But I don't know why we even bothered to fight for so long, but God just... And why does he do it? He overwhelms us with his goodness. He overwhelms us with his goodness. And here I am on my knees. I just go, okay, God, what is it? What is it? And he says to me that, We can find these verses very hard. We can find these verses incredibly hard. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you don't, your father won't. That's what we hear, don't we? If you don't forgive, God's not forgiven you. Now, who finds that uncomfortable? Honestly, I find it very uncomfortable when I'm reading it, thinking... And the danger here is, we think, I've got to do something. 
To get God's forgiveness, I've got to forgive. If I'm not a forgiving person, then I will not be forgiven. And we need to be very careful because all through Scripture, I mean, you just go back a bit and you look at the start of the Beatitudes and it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So merciful people receive mercy. So do they have to be merciful to receive mercy? Well, yes. It's all through Scripture, this, this, this almost contradiction of we've got to do something in order for God to bless us. If we move, look, I just want to quickly go, go to James with me if you can. We're just going to go flick through to James if I can find it. All right. James 2, 12. This is what he says. He says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? That's the completed law, the law that was completed in Christ. The law of liberty is that which Christ has completed so that we no longer are under that law, but under the law that is completed in Christ, which is freedom, liberty, under the law. But listen to verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs judgment. So mercy and forgiveness are interlocked. There is no, you can't separate these two things out. And I want to prove that. If we, just, if we go back to Matthew, Matthew 18, we're going to look at the unmerciful servant. And I think this is, I, I, I could try and give you analogies, try and give you stories, but this is probably the best story on what it is that Jesus is talking about here. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I need to emphasize how much this 10,000 talents is. One talent in the New Testament times was equivalent to about 20 years' worth of wages for a common labourer. 20 years' worth of wages. How much did he owe? 10,000. 200,000 years of wages this guy owed. Now that would be with him getting none of it, so we're probably talking probably closer to half a million years he would have had to work to try and work off this debt. We're not talking about a small amount here. We're talking an enormous amount, an unpayable amount. No one could pay this back. This is what it's trying to get at. This servant had no means to pay this back, none at all. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now this is a little hint right here that this guy didn't get it. Didn't get it. An unpayable amount, your life could not be lived long enough for you to pay it back. And here he's saying, just be patient, I'll pay it back. He couldn't. And listen to the response of the king. The king, and out of pity for him, 
You could, you could imagine the country, the kings there going, you don't get it, do you? You don't, you don't get it. You ain't paying this back. You don't get it. And out of pity, out of, here's this guy who's trying to do something he can't. He's like, you can't do it. You, you want, you're trying to do something that is impossible for you to do. Don't worry. I'll have mercy on you. And the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, I've heard some people say this about 10 quid. This is not, this is, this is still a fair amount of money. Denarii was about one day's wage. So there's 100 days wages, almost four months of wages. So we're talking thousands. So it's, it's, it's a lot. But nothing in comparison, absolutely nothing in comparison to what this servant has been forgiven for. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My Father, my Heavenly Father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. These are tough things, people. Joe, to a, to a dying person, these words are impossible to keep. Now, these aren't just tough things to try and understand. These aren't even tough things to try and do. They're an impossible thing to do. Unless, unless Jesus has forgiven us first. You see, the whole point of this, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us. The whole point of this is that we are once again focusing upon God. We are in desperate need of you, Father. Desperate need of you. Desperate. Impossible for us to pay this debt that we've racked up. And if you... I want to I try and help you understand the vastness of this. I was reading uh, Jonathan Edwards and how he described it, and I, I can't even do it justice to what he can, but I want to try and help you to understand how the smallest little tiddly bit of a white lie that you've committed is the most grossest, most heinous thing that could ever have been done to Christ. So I'm hoping you can come with me on this. We are created in the image of God. And in fact, the word image of God could also be translated as idols. We are the idol. We are what represents what God is like. If you want to go see what God is like, you don't go to a statue, you don't go to a shrine, You go to his people. We are the image 
of God. And because we bear his image, what we do is in effect saying, this is what God is like. So when we hate someone, we are saying, God is like this. He hates people. When we murder, we say, God murders. When we lie, we say, God's a liar. We are completely misrepresenting God. And it is high treason to do it. Now, if you offend me, or if if you uh, tarnish my reputation, it's not much. My reputation isn't that big. It it doesn't mean that much. The consequences to you will be minimal because I am quite finite. I am minimal. If you tarnish the reputation of someone who is in greater power, then, well, the the whole court system to come down on your head because of that. It's greater. Now, this is where it gets even... You've got to try and stay with me because this can blow your mind. Because if your little sin, if you do it to me, you sin against all of who I am. You misrepresent who I am, and that's not much. That's okay. But when you misrepresent God, you misrepresent all of who he is. Not just a part of him, but all of him. And, and does he have a beginning and an end? There is no beginning or end to God. So when you sin against God, when I sin against God, when I misrepresent him, when I say he's a liar, he's a cheat, he hates, he kills, that is to all of who God is. From the very beginning of God to the very end. And he has no beginning and he has no end. So my offense is limitless. My sin is as vast as God is. He has no beginning or end, so I offend all of him. So the debt that I owe is infinite. And the punishment I should receive, never-ending. Just as I offended the being who is never-ending, who has no beginning, who has no end, who is all in all. That's is the extent of my smallest little white lie. That is the extent of that debt. It is unpayable. Unpayable. So what did Christ do for us? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Actually, before we go there, let's go Colossians first. Sorry about this. Let's go Colossians. Let's go Colossians 2. We'll start at 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by the cancelling of the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do we understand that this debt that is against us is unpayable, yet Christ took it and he nailed it to the cross? And he didn't just say, do you know what, I'll pay that for you, buddy. Oh, don't worry, you, I'll pay it. No, no. It's far greater than that. Go back to 2 Corinthians now and we'll see how great this is. 2 Corinthians... help if I was in 2 Corinthians, wouldn't it? doesn't have any Galatians for what I'm looking for. Okay, 2 Corinthians. Verse, uh, chapter 5, we'll start at 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen to this. Jesus just didn't, just didn't take that debt and say, I'll pay it for you. This, listen to this point here. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus didn't just take that debt and say, oh, I've, got, I've got the bank balance to pay this off for you people. No, Jesus actually owned the sin. He said, no longer is that counted to you. This is sin upon me. I have become your sin. And what do we get? Two things in this. We get righteousness and a ministry. Righteousness and the ministry of reconciliation. So what's my point? I wanted to really do a good sermon that gave you a great theology of what forgiveness is all about. And I know I've given you nothing about forgiveness yet. But as I was crying out, God, okay, I'm finished fighting, What is it? And God says, forgiveness is the fruit of reconciliation. Forgiveness is the fruit of reconciliation. Once you are reconciled, once you know what it is to be reconciled to God, the hostility, the debt, the transgression removed, 
And you are once more able to come into the presence of God. Then forgiveness will flow. You see, you cannot, cannot forgive from the heart. Now, I have many, many times said from my mouth, I forgive you. I didn't mean a word of it. My children, I have to force them to say, forgive your brother or your sister. I have to say, if you don't say it, you're going to get a consequence. You're the one who's going to feel the pain of it. Forgive them. I've got to force it. I know that they're not saying it from their heart. My hope is that one day they would understand what it is to be reconciled to God and what was once just words would suddenly become a heart motive. Forgiveness is the fruit of reconciliation. And with all fruit, fruit can't, can't be preached. can't be found in a book. Fruit doesn't get found in here. Fruit gets found in our lives, in how we live them. So I'm going to just be honest with a couple of stuff from my life. And I didn't get many things right, and I still don't. But as I was coming, and I'm, I'm, I'm knowing that God's telling me to say this, and I'm like, do you know what, God, can I just be sick today? Can I just ring up Mark and say, Mark, how about you do this one, I'll get the next one? To be honest, I seriously don't want to be standing up here. But I felt God say to me, that I am his display of what forgiveness is. See, I'm the fruit of what Christ has won. And so therefore, I must now produce what he has produced in me. I must carry that on. I had a dream this week, and it reminded me of a time when I was in high school. And I had this friend. Do you know how you get friends? They just hang around with your friendship group. I'd never go to his home. I'd, I wouldn't ever do anything really for him, but because he was a friend of a friend, he hung around our same friendship group. And he was a bigger, tougher, meaner type guy. He used to do kickboxing, and he was quite proud of how his tooth got chipped when he was fighting, and and all this kind of stuff. So he's kind of like these guys where you could almost see he'll snap at any moment. And, he was in my, and if you understand a bit of my life, that's not unusual for me to be around that type of a person. And one day at high school, he had this unusual walk. It was like he had always ridden a horse. So he'd always walk like, like this. Like he's constantly just got off a horse. And so me and my friends, we thought this would be, would be hilarious. He's talking, uh, talking to this girl, 
on, uh, on the back stairs where there's a bit of privacy. And we thought, what we'll do is all of us, there's about five of us, we'll walk past him going like this, right? And it'll be hilarious. He'll find it hilarious. We'll find it hilarious. It'll be great. So here we are. We're all chuckling, all laughing, thinking it's going to be the greatest joke. And, you know, he'll get slightly embarrassed, but it'll be okay because that's what you do with mates. And here we go, going along, and we're, we're going like this, and it's kind of having a bit of a laugh. And the next thing I know, I'm seeing stars. And out of all our group, I was the, the shortest, the smallest, perhaps the easiest target. And I was neither at the front of the line nor the back of the line, but in the middle, and I was the only one who got hit in the head. And it was, ama- it was amazing because it was, it was exactly like those moments when you see on the cartoons the stars going around the head. Because I was like, what the... What just happened? But I can tell you the rage. The rage that built up in me from that. I went straight up to his face. He's about up there. So I'm up to him and I'm in his face. And I'm having a go at him. Knowing that I'm going to get pounded to the ground. This is not a... This is not a this is not a, a fight where we go, oh, the little guy wins. No, I'm about to be absolutely pummeled. But the, just the absolute rage and fire in me and hatred. If I had have had a single weapon with me at that moment, that guy would have been dead. There is no doubt I was just absolutely enraged by him. And holding it everything together to not trying to lash out at this guy. I didn't. I thought, I, I, I won. I succeeded. I didn't do what he did. I, I'm the better man. And I woke up with that as a dream in my head this week. And the rage and the hatred against this guy was still there. And if he had walked in the room... I would have wanted him to die the same death. I don't know many how many times I have forgiven this guy in my heart. I don't know many how many times I said, God, this wretchedness, what is this wretchedness within me that desires the death of a person for hitting me? What is this? I forgive him. I bless him. I want the best for him. And yet this rage keeps coming up against him. Do I fall foul of not forgiving? No. You see, forgiveness is not an instant thing. It costs. It is so costly. It is extremely costly to reconcile yourself to people. You see, either they're paying for it with your anger and your wrath and your malice, or you've got to pay for it because you're giving up your anger, your wrath, your malice. Someone always has to bear the cost. But we're told to be like Christ. 
And we've just seen that he's bared the greatest cross, the greatest debt that could ever be owed, and he bore it. Forgiveness is sometimes a process. But unforgiveness is always ready to steal. Do you know what unforgiveness steals? It steals the very kingdom of God. It steals the very rule and reign of God in your life and in the church and in the community. Unforgiveness is a thief. And we cannot have any of it. About a couple of months ago, we had some friends over and the kids were mucking up and I spoke harshly to them and my wife rightly corrected me, but it was in front of people and do you know what? I didn't like it. I didn't like it, so I spoke harshly to her in front of people and justified myself and told her in no uncertain terms that I can speak to my children like that. Ugly. Horrible. And this happened on a Sunday afternoon, people. So this isn't like some far away, I've I've just received the blessing of God, I've worshipped him, I've praised him, I've sung with my mouth how great he is, and I go home and I'm willing, willing, to be so hostile in my words to my wife. Yes, I was convicted. Oh, bless, blessed Holy Spirit. He's so good, people. He convicts me. It's so good. So I have to leave the room. I have to go up into my room. And for about 10 minutes, I struggled with the, the anger and the self-righteousness and the ugly, hideous, just disgusting black pride that rises up in my life. And every time I get to a place where I'm like, okay, I've forgiven my, I've forgiven my wife. God, I've released that. Oh, I know I'm forgiven. Up rises against that. But you were right in saying that. She had no rights. Your excuses are better than her excuses. But forgiveness is not about who has the best excuses. Forgiveness is about what is inexcusable. See, we forgive the inexcusable. We don't forgive the excusable. And the only thing that was inexcusable was the way that I acted. And there before God on on my knees, I'm like, you need to save me now. Because if you don't come save me, there's no good comes from this. No good comes from this. And in that struggle, and I told you, 10 minutes of just struggling through this, I come to a place where I can actually see, and this is the thing, is, is I cannot see the debt that Christ has paid in that moment. All I see is me. And at the moment that I can rip down myself and see the risen Christ and the debt he's paid, I can go, yeah, I release it. I release it. And so I go down and I quietly take my wife to the side and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Sometimes forgiveness can be in the moment. But it is always costly. I was also reminded of the time when I was a young boy and we used to live on a farm in Australia and we had these beehives. And it was quite, quite amazing because I don't know if you've ever seen uh, bees when they swarm. Has anyone seen a, a swarm of bees? And they'll just swarm onto a tree or on a branch somewhere. So our first beehive was because this swarm of bees just came onto a branch and were just hanging there, thousands of them. And my mum, it's just incredible, she goes, go grab a cardboard box, son. So I went and grabbed the cardboard box and she goes, now go catch the bees. <laughs> okay. Now I'm, I'm about eight or nine at this stage and so I'm still at that age where my mum has absolute authority over me. And so I grab a stick and I grab the branch and we, mum holds a box underneath and we smack the top of the branch and the whole, the whole swarm of bees falls into this cardboard box and then we just close it up. And I got stung once on the finger, but only once because when they're swarmed, they're quite placid. They're, they're, they're They're protecting the queen, so they swarm around the queen, so they're not quite as aggressive as you think they are. And so we take this beehive and we go to our neighbour and we say, can we have a proper beehive to put the, the bees into? So that's how we got our first beehive. And so now the bees have, have made all the wax on the frames and they've filled it all with honey and now it's time to get our reward from this. And so we take, out, we take out these racks of wax and bee and um, honey and you can just see it, it almost glistens. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can't help but just your mouth watering at the sight of all this honey that you're just holding. But we didn't have any way of extracting the honey, so we asked a friend to come over and he had this drum and this drum was about this big and you put four of these slats in it that holds the bee wax and the honey in it. And then what you do is you turn it like this, and it spins these around so fast that the centrifugal force pushes out the wax to the side and it all flows down. There's a little tap, a nice little tap at the bottom that the honey can flow out of. So here we are. We get the beehives, we put them, uh, the, the bee wax and the honey, and we put them into these drum and we spin it around. Now, we lived in the country, so we don't get many new things. And this guy's... This was the first time he had ever used this uh, honey extractor. First time ever. He'd never used it before. And it was so new that the paint on it was still slightly soft. You know, it hadn't even set hard yet. Like, this was like really, like first time he's used it and we get to use it. So we were so, here we are, spinning this thing around. It's great fun. Honey everywhere. Brilliant. At the end of it, mum gathers us all up, um, and my mum's a, I'll explain, we ha I had seven siblings, so my mum ruled with an iron fist. So when she gathered you up, if she called you, she didn't say it twice, because that was not worth 
That was not worth the pain that would follow. So you came the first time. So when mum gathered us up, in the voice she gathered up, something had gone wrong. Something was wrong. And on the side of this lovely new honey extractor were the initials of, of one of us kids. And mum said, who wrote on that? And none of us, none of us answered. Who wrote on that? Not me, mum, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. You could, un- you could feel the punishment that was coming. That was definitely not me, mum. And she said, that's it. She says, we used to get this treat of watching the after- Saturday afternoon movie. She said, no movie today until someone owns up for that. And the person who owns up will not watch the movie anyway. And so all of our kids come together and we're like, oh, we're all going to get punished for this. And me, in my, I don't know, maybe it was the hand of God on me at that stage. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll take, I'll say I did it. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I said, I'll do it. So the rest of you can watch, so that we don't all miss out on it. So I went to mum and I said, mum, it was me, I, I wrote on it. Now, you might think that I was quite, I was very, I, I want to say stupid, because the initials were on the drum, I, I could have just looked at the initials and knew who did it. <laughs> but I didn't. For some reason, I thought that all my brothers who were saying they hadn't done it, they really hadn't done it, and somehow it had mysteriously got there, and it wasn't from us. Someone else did it. So I went to mum and said, Mum, I did it. I will take the, the cost. I won't watch the movies. Let the rest of my brothers and sisters watch it. And mum, she was smart. She says to me, I know you didn't do it, it's okay. Now I'm like, how did she not know that? And then she calls my brother out who did do it. Now I want to say right then and there, the rage that engulfed me right then, that my brother, who had just said he hadn't done it and was willing for me to take the cost of doing it, was now being singled out. And here I am, I'm just like... I realise now how mum got it, but I just thought mum's amazing. How she just pick out that person? But it's obvious now, isn't it? But I hated my brother. I hated that my brother could allow me to take that. I hated him that not only would he allow me to take it, but he'd lie to my face and say he didn't do it and not own up to it. I hated him. What does hate say in the Bible? What does Jesus tell us about hate? If you hate your brother, it's murder. Murder. I don't hate my brother anymore. I have forgiven him. And it's only because I know the full forgiveness of God. All these stories I've, just, I've told you here, they're not amazing stories. They're not even that deep or, or great, but 
I want you to see that actually forgiveness is a fruit of reconciliation. If I did not know that I was reconciled to God, then I could not forgive from the heart. I could not. An impossibility. My heart would still be stone. It had no ability to do a flesh-like action. I stand before you and I'm trying the best I can with the fruit of the forgiveness of Christ. But I plead with you, if you've ever struggled to forgive or you're struggling to forgive, or you're saying that what they have done is too great, I cannot forgive them ever, don't let unforgiveness rob you of the kingdom of God. Don't let unforgiveness rob you this warning that God, that Jesus gives us, it is a true warning. Because if you do not know the reconciling forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then you can never forgive from the heart. And so when it says that if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, it's saying that you cannot be forgiven unless you are first reconciled to Christ. What is the story of the unmerciful servant? First the mercy, then the forgiveness. If we receive not the mercy, if we hold on to unforgiveness, if we're holding on to it so tightly, there is nothing more than we can receive. So I understand that today is not a, it's not a great theological talk. It's not even a good sermon. But I want you to understand But Jesus is crying out and saying to you, please show the fruit of reconciliation. And in Mark 11, see in in Matthew here, we're talking about those who have transgressed against us, those who are in debt to us. But in Mark 11, it says, if anyone holds anything against you, forgive. See, the default of the Christian is if we're wronged, we go and ask forgiveness to reconcile. And if we've been wronged, we go and forgive and ask that we be reconciled. See, the responsibility is always on the Christian, always on the Christian, to be the first to step forward in reconciliation. Whether you're wronged or you're doing the wrong, it is your responsibility. Always. Don't let unforgiveness rob you. If you go home with anything, go with this. The fruit of forgiveness is reconciliation. So be reconciled to God. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we... We're amazed at you. We're amazed at the debt that you nailed to the cross. We're amazed that you would take such a putrid, dead person like me and make me alive. And now I stand before you 
as one who is declared right, righteous. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that for anyone here today who is finding, finding it hard to forgive those who have sinned against them, or even those who have not realized that they have sinned against others, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that unforgiveness, that hanging on of hatred and malice, of hanging on of those grievances, would be let go. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you fall upon the hearts of your people here right now? Would you break the bondage of unforgiveness in people's lives? Would you bring us into the freedom of what it means to be a forgiven people? Only forgiven people will make it to heaven. And may we know the sweet, sweet taste of the forgiveness of Christ. And may we also realize that there is a sweeter thing than being forgiven. The sweetest thing of all is to forgive. It is more blessed, more blessed to give than receive. So I pray this day, Lord Jesus, as we leave here, as we fellowship together, that we would always hold dear in our heart this ministry of reconciliation. We would never let unforgiveness rear its ugly head and divide your people. Thank you that you have reconciled us to the Father. Thank you that you have entrusted us with a ministry of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.